Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 245. Oh, wow. Woo, we getting up there. That is a lot of episodes. That's one a week? Uh, one a week for wow. 245 weeks straight. We haven't missed Christmas or New Year's or any vacations. Feel pretty good about that. That's some production. That is impressive. But uh, I'm Mike, one of the co-hosts here, and we got Josh and Tim in the booth with us. Guys. Hello, hello. So we already talked on, on the episode, but Tim almost got hit by a car. And I just think that's probably the best place to start any they conversation. Won't even, they the- won't even hear it on this episode, oh, actually. Yeah, this, you guys will wait. hear the car story in full detail on a later episode, but not today's episode. I like to I like to drop little mystery nuggets. Actually, yeah. I want to use a different term than mystery, mystery nuggets. Yeah. I like to drop. Yeah, I like to I like to set the stage. You know what I'm saying? Guys, if Josh ever offers you a mystery nugget, <laughs> do not take it. So let's go back to the car. So Tim almost got hit by a car, and we talk about it, but he's. He's, are you walking with a limp or are you fine? I, I, I'm i okay. I'm okay. He, he almost got, he didn't get hit. So why yeah. would he be walking with a limp? Well, somebody gets scared sometimes. You yeah, it's away. like a mental thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, it was a rough way to start the day. I was going, I was going to the office. And so you're just, you know, just kind of. Right. That's not a good wake up. That's yeah. like a, that's a bad heart, wake up. You're like, oh, yeah, God, you're all stressed like, out. And then you come in, and you're telling everybody, this, this dude almost hit me. Yeah, I could see it. I was on edge a little bit, but we, we made it out alive and, uh. And who is our guest today? Uh, well, <laughs> our guest today, the episode this week, is uh, an interview with the guys over at Cloudbreak Health. Really good interview. And shout out shout out to uh, Jamie. I mean, we've had Andy on before, and obviously mm-hmm. it was a great episode, but Jamie just got voted one of the top 50 people in healthcare in 2020 or 2021, something yeah. like that. The top, top innovative minds in healthcare, which is uh, pretty astounding. Pretty Congratulations. And you can tell just from talking to him, he is, he's very, I mean, they're both extremely sharp and Cool personalities, yeah. like the way they mesh together. They, they really were great to talk with. We got to learn about SPACs. I wanted to learn about SPACs, didn't know what those were too much. I mean, I kind of was aware, but got a little more in depth on what that is and uh, their their merger and everything else going on. So really great interview. I think we all learned a lot. Tim wasn't there. I did not learn anything, so but I'm going to listen now. Tim's going to listen now. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 or 7365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike, and here with me today is Josh in the booth. Josh, what's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. And uh, Tim is out and about today, so it's just me and Josh here, but that's okay because we've got an extra guest. Our two guests today are Andy Panos and Jamie Edwards. And uh, Andy and Jamie are both co-founders of Cloudbreak Health, and Andy is the COO, while Jamie is the CEO at Cloudbreak Health. Uh, we previously had Andy on the show to talk about the story behind Cloudbreak Health and how the company got started, so you know, check that out if you haven't already. But 
It was recently announced that Cloudbreak Health will be merging with UpHealth and Gig Capital 2, which will make the merged company being listed as, on the NYSE as UpHealth Inc. So they will be a publicly traded company here soon. Uh, and uh, we wanted to bring Jamie and Andy in to talk as much as they can about the transition, what's been happening with the business, how COVID has affected their business, amongst other things. So welcome to Conquering Columbus, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Yeah, great to be here. And just for those of us who, you know, maybe those of our listeners who haven't listened to the first episode who, or don't know you guys, would you mind just saying your name, hey, who you are, and, and a little background on yourselves? All right. Uh, Jamie Edwards, CEO and co-founder of Cloudbreak Health. Cloudbreak's a unified telemedicine company in 1,800-plus hospitals across the country. Really started off resolving healthcare disparities at the point of care, so bringing an interpreter to the point of care for limited English proficient deaf patients, and are now doing that nationwide over 100,000 times a month. My background before Cloudbreak was running an ER hospitalist and anesthesia group called Emergent Medical Associates in Southern California. And then uh, prior to that, I did 10 years of investment banking and private equity work. Sounds like you've uh, said that pitch one or two times lately. Uh, it feels like just it, a few. It really, really just a few, off. Josh. <laughs> so you're out in California and you mentioned uh, you were working for, it was called EMR. Is that what the abbreviation was? EMA. 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 Emergent Medical Associates. And so you were you were focused in the healthcare space before jumping into this. So that's kind of where the, the motivation and passion came from you and, and the ability to walk in and uh, have your feet underneath you? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I come from a family of doctors. And so uh, my sister's a doctor, my brother-in-law's a doctor, aunts and uncles on both sides are physicians. Um, and so growing up in and around healthcare and seeing it all the time, I had a, a favorite uncle, My well, that's going to offend my other uncles, but one of my favorite uncles, Dr. Irv Edwards, who is an ER doctor on the West Coast. And, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had a gap in my skill set when it came to my finance skills. So I went into investment banking and private equity to fill that gap. And while I was doing that work, I started doing some consulting for my uncle. And as you can imagine, an ER doctor, entrepreneurial guy started his own group, but never had a classical business training from any stretch of the imagination. So super easy to impress my physician uncle with my knowledge of revenue and EBITDA and cash flow and PowerPoint and Excel and strategy. And I had the opportunity to lift a, the hoods on a lot of different businesses and get a good look for how they managed themselves and saw what worked and saw what didn't. And so um, I started doing some consulting work for my uncle and I moved him out of his home office to a real office. And I built one of the first physician productivity systems in the country in Excel that was based on value-based care. And eventually he said, hey, I need you to come run the group full time. So I left Lehman Brothers, where I was in the communications and media group and worked on deals from Google's IPO and follow on to the hospital defense of Six Flags, the amusement park company, and started to work with him on growing his practice. And over the next eight or nine years, we grew it from a $12 million business to 150 plus million in revenue and to the leading ER hospitalist and anesthesia group on the West Coast. And I actually met Andy through that because my chief medical officer sat on Andy's board. And when I met Andy, it was like that scene in Step Brothers where they look at each other and they're like, did we just become best friends? Andy gave me the ability as an entrepreneur, uh, he really gave me a platform to increase impact at scale. I saw the need for it every day. The mission was pure. So it was something that I could really get behind. And Andy and I decided to link arms and uh, build the business together. Awesome. And Andy, you know, what about, what about your background? So tell us a little bit about you. I mean, obviously people can go listen to that podcast that we already did yeah. if they want to learn more, but give us the, the short rundown. Well, you know, uh, started my career in, in the marketing design world and grew that side of it, understanding kind of the, the communication and the messaging that companies you want to put out into the marketplace and, and how you really can build a brand of, of what you're looking for. 
And it was, you know, a little bit serendipitous that I was at a marketing meeting and a, uh, a few of the emergency room doctors at Ohio State were there and they were talking about the new refugee population coming into, into Columbus and talking about how difficult it was to communicate, get an interpreter, really understand what they were, you know, what ailments they had. And I, it really brought up a, a very anxiety-filled moment in, in my life, in our, my family's life, when a brother of mine was injured in Mexico. And we couldn't communicate. We didn't understand Spanish. They didn't understand English. Very bad car crash. And uh, I, we learned firsthand what was known as a, as a language barrier. And here we were in Columbus, Ohio, where, you know, thinking that you were in the heart of America, that there was actually that same thing happening on a day-to-day basis uh, in the emergency rooms right here in Columbus. And the conversation switched a little bit to uh, something they were calling telehealth at the time. And a doctor was talking about, well, you know, we can uh, roll this little device around and I can come in remotely and see patients. Made the comment about, hey, why don't we put an interpreter behind the screen and we can bring an interpreter to that point of care. And so you always have one. And they were like, sounds like a great idea. Someone should start a company. And so we did. And over the next several years, learned many different things of being an entrepreneur. I knew entrepreneur from the marketing and design world, starting up a couple of different startups in that, and knew that it was going to take a lot more than uh, just what we were doing and had to really kind of work on people to come and help. And that was uh, very fortunate that uh, we had some people on our board that then introduced us out to the West Coast. And, and it was, it was like, you know, Jamie was you know, we we're looking at the, a presentation deck. We we're looking at different things. And he was like, I see your vision. We're just not getting it out into the right people. Your business plan needs some work and stuff. And it was like 2008, January 2008, Jamie created a vehicle to take our company in a different direction, get the original people out of it and start fresh and started on a path that he and I could really subscribe to Jamie's vision you know, me hammering away. And we did. It was like we went from 10 clients in 2008 to 350 in in 2014. And it's been a great partnership. I mean, hell, look at us. We look like brothers right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Talk about a year to start something new uh, or to take a new direction with a business. 2008. What happened then? That's right. There was something right. that happened that year. I can't remember quite what it was. Is that when one you of the biggest Lehman financial Brothers? meltdowns in history? It's all good. Right, it was small, <laughs> small event. <laughs> Is that when you left Lehman Brothers, Jamie, or was, or was it before that? You know, I left Lehman in 2006, where and it was still a great place to be. Um, and that's when I started working with the ER group, and I actually managed the Language Access Network, which became CloudBreak and EMA side by side for six years. And then CloudBreak was reaching escape velocity in the 2014 time period, and really restricted EMA's ability to fund it. And so we uh, that's when we went out and raised our Series A round. And when I took the leap to really do it full time um, and sit side by side with Andy back to back, kind of hammering away at growing this business. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level. And Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you talk about escape velocity and now, you know, we're in the era of COVID. So, so if you were already at escape velocity, what did COVID do to you guys and how did you 
adapt and stay nimble and accommodate the changes in, in the economy and especially in healthcare? Yeah, so I can talk to the market side and Andy can give you the specifics about what we did kind of inside the business because we went through a lot of change and not all of it was easy. COVID for us, because we do so much hospital-based telemedicine, we had a little negative impact on the business. And if you were to look at our numbers through that March, April, May timeframe, when no one was going to hospitals, all elective surgeries were canceled, um, you know, in that environment, we saw our volumes go down in line with our hospital clients. Over time, what COVID really did for us was accelerate our product roadmap. So we had a big vision and some big plans to really go and broaden the scope of our platform and to take us not only from the hospital, but to be able to go from home to hospital and back again. And so for COVID, we launched a number of new initiatives. One was a telequarantine solution so that any device that had our software on it could be rolled into the patient room and turn that room into a connected care room immediately. And that allowed, that really protected frontline healthcare workers. It allowed them to not have to don PPE, which was a scarce resource at the time. They could actually do their consults from outside the room. It reduced patient isolation because we were able to bring a family member in a HIPAA compliant way to the point of care. And it really reduced the risk of contagion. And so that really aligned with our mission to humanize healthcare, which is driven around restoring the joy of calling back to the provider workforce. So clinicians, you know, everyone on that front line of healthcare, like we want to make their lives easier. That's our job as a company because our thesis is if we do that, they'll find their work more meaningful. They'll stop treating patients like objects and more like people. And what we do is really embolden communication and, and facilitate communication between patients and providers. And that communication is the number one diagnostic tool a doctor has, and it's the number one patient empowerment tool for that patient. So our goal is to make everybody more comfortable at the point of care. And by doing that, level the playing field, get everybody the care that they need. The other thing that we did during COVID was launch a virtual care clinic, a true, I can see a patient at home um, from the hospital clinic that our clients could use. And so we used COVID to accelerate a lot of that product development because we felt like it was the right thing to do. And in fact, we offered our telequarantine solution for free to the market because we thought this is our part of really supporting what is the broader healthcare system during what is a really challenging and trying time. The great news is, you know, we as a company recovered relatively quickly um, from that downturn. And, you know, we we're happy in quarter four to celebrate the best quarter in the company's history. And December was the best month in the company's history. So really excited about, you know, the direction that we took and really taking the time to make the right investments to set the platform up for success. And Andy, you can talk about a lot of what we did internally, which was a large part of what drove that change. Yeah. You know, I always look back at the stories of what Jamie was just talking about. And I wanted to share that with you real quickly. And that was the whole entire telequarantine situation and what it really meant to be able to open up the lines of communication between family or provider. And what was really missed during COVID and what is still being missed today, that, that all these people are calling themselves telehealth platforms and we're practicing telemedicine. 30% of the people that need to use telemedicine or limited English proficient are deaf and hard of hearing. So there's this whole entire sector that was completely left out of the telehealth virtual kind of craze that was going on because they couldn't communicate. And the best example of that is when we rolled out our telequarantine app down at BCU in Richmond, Virginia, they had a young lady present ready to give birth she gave birth and she was positive. She was COVID positive. And they immediately had to take the baby away and put it into the NICU 
the uh, prenatal uh, intensive care area for the baby. And that bonding time was stripped away from this mother. And this baby was in kind of an incubator type of a situation. What they ended up doing is they took our device and they set it up next to the baby. And then the mom was in the other side in her room and they were, she was able to communicate, even though it was through video, she was able to communicate with the baby. And the key point to this is that the mother was limited English proficient. She only spoke Spanish. And so communicating with the care of the folks in there, we were able to bring the interpreter into that encounter so the nurses could speak to the mother, tell the mom what the tubes were for in the, in the baby's nose, all the different things that were going on. It gave that mother the ability to do some bonding with her baby while she was taken away from her. So, you know, when we, when we talk about technology and we talk about all these things, what it really does is it still just comes down to that, that human factor that needs to be brought into this. And from our standpoint, you know, we were very fortunate that November of 2019, we launched our new program, our new software, which we refer to as Marty Next, brought it all out there. And if we had not done that in November, we wouldn't have been able to do any of the other things that we were doing. And we took off in January of last year, like, like a rocket ship. We just like, we were ready to go. And then it, like the COVID hit, but it also made us rethink the business operations internally. And one of those really came down to how we deal with our workforce. Like I said earlier, how are we going to become a, a remote workforce? We were able to do that in two weeks time across the United States. And how can we bring more resources to the point of care remotely so that we could meet the needs of our clients. And so we went on a very large revamping of SGNA and our W2 and everything associated with it that created a, a very strong financial profile for us so that we could, first of all, weather the storm. And then secondly, be able to have the resources when we came out of it to really kind of start that hockey puck growth again. So I'm curious, I mean, it's simpler for a small business or small company to make a large pivot like this, but making this type of a pivot at scale sounds pretty challenging. What all went into that? I mean, like from a perspective of, I'm imagining it didn't all just go smoothly and, and sunshine and rainbows and, oh, yep, we're going to go, we're going to implement this new product. We're going to go and change the way our application works and change some of even like the core functionality here. So like, Oh, oh hell it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, I mean, tell, tell me a little more about that. What, what happened? Do you want to talk a little bit about Nashina, Jamie? She's kind of yeah, the chief sure. product officer and she was yeah. really instrumental in this. And then I'll talk a little bit about from the operations side, some of the resources that I have internally where we just sat down and took a sledgehammer out, started swinging and went to work. <laughs> yeah. I think part of this, right, guys, is having the right culture at a business to be able to respond and react to these types of things. And when you take a look at the culture of Cloudbreak, while we really consider ourselves to be a family, you know, we're a family of a few hundred people, which, uh, you know, presents its own challenges. We also have one of the most diverse workforces on the face of the planet because of the work that we do. 50 plus languages represented, different faiths, different cultures. And what always really drove me about the business was the resilience of the people who work for us. Right. Like we are hiring people who have amazing stories are these people who emigrated from other countries, you know, who picked up English as a second language, who might have been doctors or physicians or whatever in the other countries where they were, but weren't licensed here in the States. These are incredible people with amazing stories of how they emigrated from where they were, some under political persecution. It blows me away to talk to my employees. And I'm, it's my honor to serve these folks because they've been through amazing things in their life. 
So when it came down to this, and we actually presented to the company, like, what direction should we go in? And we started kind of building consensus around the team. And a lot of that came down to product. And we realized that we didn't have all we needed on the product team. And so we brought in a ringer, if you will, in this woman, Nishina Asaria. So Nishina sat on our board. She was our independent board member, super deep product background, worked on the Kindle project with Jeff Bezos during her time at Qualcomm, was Patrick Sunshung's right-hand person at Nant Health, a tremendous, tremendous product background. And so she dove in and we brought her onto the team full time to help us navigate getting our product team firing on all cylinders. And I'll tell you, in a period of weeks, she overhauled the whole group, you know, set up the right cadence, got the right focus in terms of what products we were going to build and their priorities and really got us firing in all cylinders from that standpoint. And she's just been, you know, a tremendous, tremendous asset. So her and the rest of the team, everyone kind of locked arms and we said, we're just going to get this done. And everyone worked late and executed. And you know what? I mean, COVID, people talk about it. it. Like It is a huge tragedy. For us, it was a galvanizing moment in the company's history where we decided that we were going to take matters into our own hands and not be a, a taker of what happens in market, but instead someone who's kind of dictating the state of play. I couldn't be more grateful for the team for how they responded. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So fast forward to present day, obviously, you know, the SPAC is probably the biggest thing on your guys' mind and uh, that yep. process came up rather recently. So how how did it come about? What are the advantages? And I'm sure, Jamie, you'll probably double, double tap on the financial aspects of it. And what does the future look like for CloudBreak? Some of our listeners might not even know what a SPAC is. Can we maybe get a definition on a SPAC first? Absolutely. A SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. It's something that as of late in the capital markets has become much more prevalent than it was before. So there's degrees of these on the public markets. Like some people might've heard of a public shell, right? And people do reverse merges into public shells where they take a private company and then it gets acquired by that public company. And then the private company becomes public as a result. The difference between that and a SPAC is the SPAC actually went out to raise funds to go make an acquisition. Mm -hmm. There's money sitting in a trust account. They do an IPO of the SPAC. The SPAC has a specific segment or target market it's looking at. And its goal within an X period of time, usually two years, is to go find a company to acquire and merge in. So our SPAC is Gig Capital 2. Um, the gig capital folks have been amazing mentors to us and they're going to, they have a much different SPAC model than a lot of the other SPACs out there and that they are going to stick with us for the next five years mentor the company, provide support resources, sit on our board, and really help us make that transition smoothly to a public company. Because sometimes that can be bumpy for private businesses to make that transition with all the regulation, all the infrastructure you need to actually support getting financial reporting out and doing quarterly conference calls, You know, all those different things that you need to do to be a successful public business. So Chiranjeev Kathuria, who was one of the founders of Nighthawk Radiology, came to us two years ago and said, I have a vision. I want to put together a digital health super company. These are the segments you guys fulfill segment X, which was the US telemedicine side of what he was trying to do. And we said, hey, that sounds great. Why don't you come back to us when the ducks are a little bit more in the row? We're going to continue to evaluate alternatives and grow the business, but let's engage in this dialogue. And six months ago, he came to us and said, I've done it. He's pulled together all the businesses. They're in the four fastest growing segments 
of healthcare. They're all non-competitive with the local healthcare system, purely complementary to each other in terms of customer footprint with like no overlap. And it's really exciting. And what got Cloudbreak excited and being part of this business combination was the synergies on the revenue side that we saw with the other groups. Like our client hospitals were asking for these other services that these other companies were providing. And so as time went on, we went through, we did definitive documentation and we started really figuring out how all the puzzle pieces are coming together and they're coming together great. The management team just got done doing a roadshow. We announced that we just raised 285 million of capital. So when the deal closes, not only do we have 98% of the trust coming back, which is the original money that that SPAC raised sitting there, I believe it's $168 million. We're also now raised above that 285 million for supporting the business's growth. And we're really excited about the pulling together of these industry leaders in their own right into one combined global, profitable digital health company, which is a unique thing. It's it's really one of the only ones that's going to be global, profitable, publicly traded, attacking the digital health space. So it's such a cool model and, and the synergies and the strategy that you guys have approached it with. Uh, I'm not super in depth on specs, but I haven't heard of a lot of people approaching it by by plugging in multiple different products into one one aspect, which is very cool. On, on the private side, that, that would be similar to what, like a search fund? Is that pretty much the public version of a search fund? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a very fair analogy. A search fund is exactly what this is just from a public standpoint. And with more regulation, more structure, better access to capital, you know, all those different types of things. And when you talk about better access to capital, you mentioned the, I believe it was $185 million, or probably messed up the numbers a little bit, from the actual public offering and then you mentioned 285 on top of that. I think where you lost me was the additional 285. So can you go into more detail on where that came from and, and what they'll be used for? Sure. So what was originally in the trust was around $175 million. And the trust in a SPAC has the option to pull their money out when the deal is announced, or they can leave the money in if they believe in the company that's coming in. So with us, 98% of that cash is staying in. I believe it's $168 million out of the 175 that was originally in the trust. Mm-hmm. And then what you will typically do in this scenario is it's like an IPO. You will then yep. go out and raise more money on top of the trust, and you will use that to support the business's growth going forward. And so we did a combination of a convert and what's called a PIPE. PIPE stands for private investment in a public equity. And you will raise those things together. The convert is actually a newer model. Most of the time you would just do the PIPE. Um, but given the state of the capital markets, we're able to do the convert too, which is to the benefit of the business because it ends up being less dilutive. And we ended up raising 285 million in a combination of this pipe and convert. So together, you know, we're going to have a fair amount of cash sitting on the balance sheet um, at close, which should give our investors a lot of confidence. And we're pretty much have a fully funded plan, at least given the current plans that we have for expansion and growth. We'll have a public currency to go do acquisitions and those types of things. But day one is really about making sure the companies are all running smoothly together, executing on the sales initiatives that we have and all those different types of things. And you know, a lot of these companies have been collaborating with each other for a long time pre even considering this deal. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an exciting time for everybody. Yeah, that was going to be my next question was from an operational standpoint, how close are you guys going to be looking, working together with these other companies right off the bat? And then how are you looking to continue to increase those synergies going forward? Yeah. So I would say very close. There's not going to be, this isn't a company where a lot of cost synergies day one, right? Where you're like, well, we're going to cut this accounting department and 
cut this group and cut this group and mm-hmm. consolidate that all into one. We are going to be consolidating those functions and building them in what we would call a center of excellence model, where we will create a center of excellence in accounting and finance. But all of these companies didn't have a lot of SGNA to begin with, right? There wasn't a ton of overhead in any of these businesses. So we're going to be bringing together companies who are all approximately at the same level of development and then bringing them together and building out these functions. So it's not like there's a ton of operating leverage built into the model, but the story here isn't about cutting costs. It's about how these companies work together mm-hmm. to deliver what we're calling one up health at the point of care. It's how do we, with our clients, bring the rest of the company's services to bear, which by the way, our, our, our clients are asking for, mm-hmm. right? And we didn't have the capability to fulfill those services before, but now we're going to. So for us, that's the real story here. And if you take a look at the numbers that were projected in the publicly available investor deck that people can just Google search for, those numbers don't really take into account any of these revenue synergies. It's all just about each business line having respective access to the capital it needs to continue to grow. And then all of those synergies are on top of you know, the numbers that we've already projected. So there's just a, it's a really, again, exciting time. We're excited about the future. We're excited about what it means for healthcare to be able to bring all of these companies under a single umbrella. And then at the point of care, be able to make things more efficient, to be able to make them more cost-effective, to increase access, to resolve healthcare disparities, and really to make the healthcare system more human. I was just going to say some of the things that we've already started to work on uh, with, uh, with the other companies is we mentioned a little bit about our virtual care platform that we've already developed. And one of the things that's really important in that is if a doctor is visiting with a patient and they need to make a, a, a prescription order on something like that, one of the companies coming into this called MedQuest gives us that e-digital pharmacy ability built right into our platform that a doctor can just prescribe right off of it and send out the prescription and it's delivered to the patient's home. And something that we were looking to try to build into our model, we were looking at other providers out there and to come in and have a partner that's licensed in all 50 states already and also have some specialty work that's going to be really neat for us that will set us apart from your your local CVS or your your Walgreens and be able to have that built into our platform very, very easily uh, is something that's in the works right now. And it's, you know, we're, we're ready for it. And the same is true on the behavioral health services side. We have two companies that are, one's an addiction management specialist, the other is you know, more straight up telepsychiatry services and, and, and mental and behavioral health services. Well, mental and behavioral health is the next vital sign. Like we've all spent so much time, like coming out of COVID, people are stressed out and I, I, that's probably putting it mildly. And so we now have the ability through that partnership with them to deliver telepsychiatrists to the point of care and help those people manage their mental health needs across the care continuum. So all those different types of things are now gonna be available on the platform. And because I'm the old language guy, right? That started back in 2003, every one of these encounters, if somebody comes on there that doesn't speak English or they're deaf and hard of hearing, the provider can bring that interpreter in with the push of the button. So the whole care continuum and the whole team is in front of the patient providing them their care. Yeah, it's an awesome point, Andy. It's really about breaking down silos that currently exist in the healthcare system. And the language services part is almost like the oil in the engine, right? It allows U.S. physicians to do things abroad. It allows physicians abroad to do things in the U.S. It allows us to, again, be everywhere from an infrastructure standpoint because that use case is so widely used. Truly does feel like this digital healthcare ecosystem that you guys have pulled together and created a series of products where 
uh, almost seems like it's on its way to this one-stop shop to really, really service people at the level that we need to in 2021 and beyond. And uh, especially complimenting what we're doing with COVID. The other thing that I, uh, I think if we were talking with a, a doctor in town last week who runs a, a series of, uh, he runs a foot and ankle clinic in town, uh, surgeon, and he was talking about the importance of patient experience for healthcare providers moving forward and how like it used to be, well, hey, as long as I got you better, you're fine. But it's becoming more and more important that people have a good experience when they go to the doctor or go to the hospital and not, not just the care and did I get better, but also how did I feel about my experience? And I think that your guys' platform really synergizes well with what I believe is going to be a change in, in the healthcare market moving forward. Well, Mike, to your point, it's a lot like people used to talk about, well, I'm going to vote with my feet. Mm-hmm. Well, people say that, but it's a lot harder to do because we're all creatures of habit. You know? So when you're like, well, I could go to my doctor's office that I've been going to, which is three blocks away, or I could switch doctors. Physically, that feels different. But when you're voting with your fingers, hmm. <laughs> right, on this supercomputer we're all holding in our pocket, that is a much lower friction type of event. Mm-hmm. And look, we're big believers that local healthcare wins out at the end of the day, and we want to be the digital infrastructure so that people's existing continuum of care is enabled with digital health tools because that's an important part of this. Like if you don't have a digital front door as a health system or as a doctor's office, like beware because we are moving to a digital first healthcare system. Hey everybody, we're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, okay, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. What do you guys see being the biggest obstacles for UpHealth moving forward as you guys kind of move through this transition and and with your growth goals and everything we talked about today, what do you see the major obstacles being for that growth? Yeah. I mean, I think one, there's probably an embarrassment of opportunities. So how do you siphon through figuring out where you're going to go when everybody's talking to each other and everybody's excited and there's so much potential, right? So a lot of our challenge is going to be prioritizing what to work on when and doing that great disciplined analysis on, all right, what's the market size? How many people, how many lives can we impact? Where are we going to do the most good? And then saying, okay, well, that means that these products are the ones that are going to take priority or these integrations. I definitely think that's going to be a part of the challenge moving forward. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, just continuing to scale to meet the demand of new use cases that we're going to be coming into. I mean, we have clients daily say, this is a pain point within my hospital. Help me solve this problem. And if we can develop a product and we can look at that issue that this hospital is saying, say, you know what, it's happening in all 1800 of our hospitals, then we can look at that and say, yes, let's productize this and let's get it out there. But if it's like the button on your device is blue and I need it to be red, then we're going to push that to the side. We'll wait on that a little bit. But it really is the amount of opportunity and use cases that can be dialed up on the platform are endless and available care for pretty much anything that you want. What about any other goals for the future? Anything besides, I mean, obviously this is a a monumental task and you guys got plenty in your plate moving forward. Is there anything else on the horizon that's a big focus for you that we haven't covered? I don't think so. The cool thing about this combination is all the companies are driven by similar missions. 
and we're going to educate each other on our target markets. And we know that our products have applicability across those markets. So as an example, Cloudbreak's in the U.S. hospital business and U.S. federally qualified healthcare clinics. Like we're the U.S. healthcare venue market. You then have a company called Thracis, which does population health management, and they have a large user base in the payer space, and they have a large user base in the government space. And those are areas where our products are perfectly applicable, but we haven't had the resources or time to be able to sell into those verticals, right? And the same is true of MedQuest, who works in the physician space, like MedQuest markets to physician prescribers. And so you start to put all this together and you're like, I've got the physicians, I have government, education, and the payer. And now I've got not only that, but I've got the U.S. hospital system. Well, we've tied together, to your point, Josh, you brought up ecosystem before, right? The entire continuum of care into one ecosystem with products that traverse them all. And the other cool thing is there's a company called Glocal. Glocal is an Indian telemedicine business who has really created what's called a digital dispensary. And the digital dispensary, you can think of it as a clinic, But inside the clinic is a lower level healthcare worker, but they have point of care testing. They have medication prescription and everything all built in. And what'll happen is the patient walks in, sees the local healthcare worker, doctor beams into that device, right? So beams into that kiosk or beams into that cube and then can see the patient prescribe them what they need and off they go. It's a brand new model for primary care in emerging markets. And they can do visits for $5 a visit. And so you think about that versus what we're doing here in the States, and it's a pretty incredible model. So they have contracts in India, they have contracts in Africa and other emerging markets to use that model. But that model has applicability here in the US in tribal medicine and in underserved areas. So again, this theme of healthcare disparities runs through the entire organization like a vein. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, young professionals folks that want to improve themselves and are tuning in because they want to hear these stories. So I'm curious, you know, for someone in that kind of a category, you guys have any advice for them? I've been really, really lucky in my career path. And I think there are really two things that uh, I really try to subscribe to, and that is always be learning. And because every, every day there's something that's going to come up and if you're not learning about it, you're going to be left behind. And secondly, surround yourself with really smart people. And I really am very fortunate that my two business partners in Jamie and in Bill Hannon, who's actually our CFO, being able to bring those gentlemen in with what was my product and my vision and really locking arms as we talk about, find mentors, find people that can guide you. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't don't think that you're the smartest person at the table because you'll get crushed and be humble. If anything that I've ever learned is if you're being humble and you're learning, people are going to be willing to help you. And again, I mean, you know, Jamie, he's a recovering investment banker. And I got to tell you what, when I when I was getting into this business, looking at financials was like looking at Chinese, you know, and it was like, I had, what are you guys talking about? And these guys have taught me how to just go from the line by line, what everything is in, involved in that. And so understanding your financials, understanding how the business and if it's healthy and stuff like that are absolutely key things that I've learned over the last 18 years and I'm still learning today. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I think about what makes a great entrepreneur, it's that, and I've done a bad job of it on this podcast, but it's listening more than talking, right? (laughs) Really understand your market, interview a bunch of people, 
more importantly, believe in what you're doing. And I think the hardest thing to do as an entrepreneur is like to know when to quit, know when your business isn't working, know when to say no. Um, that's always tough. But when you think about what an entrepreneur should do, it's like there are a thousand reasons not to do something. And you will hear them from every VC. You will hear them from your family. You will hear them from everybody you went to school with, all your friends saying, what are you doing? That's not going to work for the following reason. My advice is find the two or three reasons why something will work and focus on that. If I would have listened to everybody else who told me of all the things that wouldn't work, I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here today. I had to convince people and persuade them that these decisions, you know, at the end of the day made sense. You know, that would really be it. The other thing is, I think generally we're afraid to make a decision because we don't have full information. Well, part of being an entrepreneur is existing in an environment without full information and like embracing the ambiguity and realizing that no decision is final. So you could say, well, I'm going to make this decision on product. Well, great. Make the decision, run down that path, learn it was the wrong thing and adjust. Better to know that than to sit there for another three weeks figuring out what you're going to do, trying to do more research. I mean, be smart, do as much as you can, but don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or anything. think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yep. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's Man, what I was going to say. As soon uh, as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but Hybeck's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently. And I really like this midnight cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine. And it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I All promise right. you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. I'll say to both you guys, you know, we have a lot of people on this show and sometimes you walk away and um, they're all incredibly talented, but sometimes you could see a product or a service where it was just bound to take off. And not that that isn't with Cloud Break or what you guys are doing, but I would say just your synergies and your ability to describe a really complex environment and the economics behind healthcare and everything that goes on and you guys to describe it uh, in such a simple way and kind of deliver a product around that and break it down is probably a testament to you know your intelligence, your ability to be entrepreneurs. So I, I you don't have to respond back to that or anything, but I, I'd say it's pretty evident from just talking with you guys. So I uh, really appreciate you joining us. To simplify it even more, and this is this is you know kind of the caveman COO as we've been kind of going down this path, is when was the last time you went into a bank to talk to a teller? Uh, I had to go get exactly. some checks the other day. I wasn't super psyched about that. <laughs> <laughs> Still exactly. faxing a lot, are you, Josh? <laughs> That's the whole point, right? Why isn't healthcare at where that is? And it's the whole fact of that is I, you can do everything from your phone or your computer for your banking. Your healthcare can be the exact same way. That's pretty strong vision right there. 
Uh, and I think a good place to head towards our last question of the show, gentlemen. So it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus. That is live uncomfortably. And without telling you guys too much about, I see a smile from Jamie. So uh, without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a show about entrepreneurs, founders, business owners, what do you guys think of when you hear it? How's it apply to your life and careers? I, I got to tell you, um, putting the needs of others in front of your own. Um, as an entrepreneur and you look at your bank account, sometimes you're like, damn, I got to make payroll. So I got to pay everybody else before I go home and tell my wife that she's not getting the paycheck this week because we didn't get our AR in time. Uh, you've got you've got to be able to, to feel that uncomfortableness of putting others in front of yourself and your family so that the people that are executing your vision and working the long hours that they they're taken care of before you're taken care of. Yeah, I mean, we very much at CloudBreak subscribe to a servant style of leadership where Andy and I realize our jobs are to enable everybody else to do their job, not the other way around. And by the way, I've worked in a lot of organizations where it was the other way around, where no matter how senior you were, if the CEO said something, that's the way it was. And that's where we were doing. You had to work for them and you were there to make their life easier. We have a much different model. We know that the people closest to the issues are the ones that can solve the problems. And so my job is to mentor, it's to coach, it's to make sure the company's properly financed, to make sure that those people on the front lines have the resources to get their jobs done and to feel like they've got a place they can grow and belong to and be part of a broader story. You know, that's definitely a part of it. You know, what I would tell you in terms of being uncomfortable is like, I can't remember a time in the past since I left investment banking where I've been comfortable. Um, so like life is just generally uncomfortable when you talk about all the people who you have relying on you and what it means to kind of own that in a very emotional way. And when you do that and you realize firing people is not easy, you know, you try and build a family type of culture. Like it's not just like, Oh, Hey, you know, we're going to do a reduction in force. Let's just let these 30 people go. I mean, Someone's got to actually do that and talk to them. And you've got to make decisions on these people's livelihoods. And it's like, that is a ton of pressure and emotional investment that we make in people. And it's, it's not easy. And no one teaches you that. I'm shocked. I'm shocked in no business school across the country that I've seen. Maybe there is one, but I went to business school. There wasn't a course in how to hire and fire right. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a skill. And with people as empathetic as we are, there are a lot of nights where Andy and I just felt like we were run over by bulldozers because something happened at the office that we took really personally. So for us, that's what being you know uncomfortable is all about. And what we've learned is the only constant. I hate to use a cliche, but I'm going to do it. The only constant is change. And so, you know, if I'm going to tell you an area where we are comfortable, right, it's the fact that we know that every day is going to be a new day and that our business is constantly going to be evolving and changing and no two days are going to be alike. Right on. And that's a great answer, gentlemen, from both of you. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your stories and talk a little bit about uh, CloudBreak and how you guys are merging with UpHealth. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. This has been great. Thank you, guys. I love these dialogues and I learn something every time. So thank you guys very much. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining again, Andy. It's been a lot of fun. So, Andy, you clearly did an okay job the first time I, around, I, right? I, I guess. I yeah. guess. I had to. I, I said I got. I got to bring one other guy with me to make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, hey, good luck with the rest of the year, and uh, appreciate your time again. But uh, conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. That was uh, Andy Panos and Jamie Edwards from Cloudbreak Health, which will now become UpHealth Inc. If you guys want to learn more about them, you can go and check out their website. UpHealthInc.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye.